0: wake of yet another mass shooting in the U.S., this one at an elementary school in Uvalde, Texas, more talk about why this keeps happening here. Other countries have guns, no other country has the tragedies on a regular basis that we do here in the U.S., and nothing ever seems to change. We wanted to talk about the U.S. and guns, so we caught up with Dr. Susan LeBell. She is a professor of political science at St. Joseph's University. So we are talking after uh, another mass shooting tragedy, another unthinkable tragedy at a school in Texas. As we're talking, the last death toll was 19 kids, I think, two students or excuse me, two teachers. Why does this keep happening in the U.S.? And when I say that, I don't mean that it, it that's such an open end question, but these things consistently only happen here. Why are we so overwhelmed by gun culture in the U.S.?
1: Well, first of all, I'm, I'm sorry to be here again, Matt. I love the show, but I, I hate the reason, and I know you do as well. Um, you know, I think gun rights supporters sometimes talk about the mental illness of the particular shooter Uh, or the the particular reasons for that one person's actions. And sometimes we, we, we tend to focus there. We like the personal. But I think the way to understand this is to pull the lens back. And I think one of the main reasons that there are more mass shootings in the United States, as opposed to other countries that are like us, is access to guns. We have more guns than people in the United States. And then that's a statistic that gets thrown around a lot. But when you, when you think about it, when you think about the idea that there's more guns than people, you can realize how easy it is for a troubled 18-year-old man to get his hands on a gun and to use them in an impetuous way. And I think many of us have been 18, and we remember the level of impetuousness that we have. If you hand somebody a gun, they will act more violently. Uh, on some of those emotions, if if it's available to them. Um, I I am not a psychologist or a sociologist, but the psychologists and sociologists who collect data on this show there are more guns available for suicide, which is the number one gun death in the United States, is is self-harm and violence against others. And we just have guns available in a way that, that others countries don't. Second thing I would say is that in the United States, since the early 2000s, not since the beginning of the country, but certainly since the early 2000s, we have a language about guns that centers on freedom. We talk about guns as a special right. You will hear gun rights. People say that if we lose any right, any access to guns, we will lose all of our rights. Now, that's not the case. All rights that are uh, mentioned in the Constitution and those are not are regulated and regulating guns is an older tradition in the United States than individual rights. That's not actually in the Constitution. But I think that this association in the United States of freedom with guns, of rights with guns, is something that we don't see in countries like France or Germany or even Australia, a country that had a very similar gun culture to the United States, but after a mass shooting, decided to do something about it. And with an enormous amount of political will, they changed their gun laws. Um, so there's something about the United States' narrative, the idea of the Minutemen. And, and you can see that in the way that many of these militia groups name themselves. They they hope to associate what they're doing. With the American Revolution, and they hope to associate guns with a certain kind of protest against tyranny.
0: You mentioned not since the beginning of the country, since early two thousand. Do we? Do you have any uh, hypothesis on a trigger? Like, is this the rise of the internet? Is this in the wake of nine eleven? Like, I mean. Are there events, an event that you can kind of point to where the arrow started to point in a different direction? So
1: what I meant by the 2000s would be the legal revolution in the United States, not the beginning of mass shootings. At the beginning of the 2000s, we have an announcement of a new right, one that never existed in the United States, but it's announced by Justices Scalia and Justice Scalia in the Heller case and Justice Thomas in the McDonald case that say, guess what? The Second Amendment is not what we've said it has been for the past 200 years, which is a right for states to maintain their militias and for there to be a certain kind of availability to of arms for those militias of turning it into a right, an individual Right. And subsequently what we've seen, um, and we will see in this next couple of weeks as the Supreme Court decides another very important case in the New York State Rifle and Pistol versus Brune, to what extent are states allowed to make uh, regulations saying Twenty-one year olds can't buy a semi-automatic. Eighteen year olds can't buy a semi-automatic weapon, et cetera. So, so that's what I meant by the two thousands. That that we never had an individual right to concealed carry. In fact, what we had was in the in the quote unquote Wild West. Is we had little little tables where you had to check your weapons when you walked into Tombstone, Arizona. So, you know, the idea of regulating guns is is really older than that right. That's what I meant. In terms of mass shooting, I, I honestly, if I had an answer as to as to why we see this explosion in um, in mass shootings, particularly in school mass shootings, I mean, I, I I would probably be a more famous person. But I, but you know, what we do know is that you know, since 1966, we've seen 13 mass school shootings. That's 146 children and adults killed. And in 1999, when when Columbine happened, that was the worst school shooting ever. That's now the fourth most deadly shooting with Sandy Hook being number one and this new shooting in Texas um, number two. I, I don't know, Matt. I mean, clearly there's more availability of semiotic weapons. We have more availability for younger and younger people and and these shootings are tend to be done by young, white, males who are roughly 18 years old. So um, I I guess I'm the wrong person for that kind of, like, why did this happen and when? But legally, we have this other change in the early 2000s.
0: And you mentioned that Supreme Court case that we're expecting a decision on. Uh, That would make it refresh everyone's memory. That will make it very difficult for states to do anything to Regulate guns, correct?
1: Yeah, New York State, for a hundred years and about twenty five percent of of the people in this nation are governed by laws just like New York State. So it's not just New York uh, are have what they call may issue uh, permits, which means that you apply for your permit for concealed carry, and uh, you say why you want it, and then the state decides whether they will grant it or not. It's not automatic, and you do have to ask for a permit. Uh, and New York has had this for uh, 100 years. That's something that the Democratic majorities in New York have approved of. And it looks like the Supreme Court will likely overturn that permitting requirement. Um, but we'll see in the next couple of weeks what happens. But it would affect 80 million people, 25 percent of the nation. And it means that states won't have the right uh, To regulate. Another good example is uh, just two weeks ago, California had a law that said, you know, you have to be 21 to buy a semi-automatic weapon. And and to most people in California, that seems like a reasonable uh, regulation. But unelected, I would call them radical judges, overturned these laws, saying that that somehow violates the Second Amendment. Of the United States. I think that's a, that's a very, very tortured interpretation of the Second Amendment, and it takes away a lot of power from the people of California to make um, these regulations, which they see as in the public's interest, public safety interest.
0: So much of the time with, you know, guns in our culture, we, you know, see people on TVs and In movies depicted as heroes with guns. And it's really striking to me how, if you look at how, like, police in the military on television a lot in the 60s and early 70s were kind of portrayed as, you know, the army couldn't get anything right, you know, police were uh, kind of bungling around. It was not militant in any way and now you look at how you know the police and the military are perceived in movies and tv it's dramatic it's a dramatic shift i think overall how much do you think that helps kind of shape how we look at guns or is it a, a chicken in the egg that it kind of one follows the other you know the 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 media is going where society is or society is leading the media where it goes.
1: Well, I do think, I do think it's hard to determine where the directional arrows are, but there is no doubt that popular culture guides what people think about, about anything, but particularly in terms of violence and guns. And we certainly do see um, in particular in, uh, in what we are viewing manner in which guns are perceived and are connected to masculinity. And I I really do think that mass shootings have to be understood in the context of masculinity politics and violence against women. All but three of the uh, mass shooters in the United States to date were men, And, and men are five times more likely to own guns than women in the United States So mass shooting is a problem that can't be disconnected from masculinity politics. And there's been an increase in marketing to women for personal security, but but most of the marketing remains focused on asserting power and independence using, you know, tropes of masculinity. In fact, you and I talked about the settlement with the Sandy Hook parents and, and part of the success of that lawsuit hinged on the ads the ads that were aimed at young men just like the shooter at Sandy Hook. And the court was able to draw a line between those ads and that marketing of toxic masculinity tied to weaponry and the young man picking up a gun and shooting uh, children at Sandy Hook Elementary. Uh, I, I, you know, I think that one of the, as you were describing what we see in the movies, I think it, it raises another really important question. There, there's been a real change in terms of how the police view, for example, gun regulation. There was a time when the police were very fearful of people having individual weapons. They saw that as a threat to their own personal security because they didn't want to be arresting people or chasing down people who might be armed. We see a lot of changes in the politics of what police unions are, in fact, and police associations are are asking for. And so, I you know I think in the United States over the past 50 years, we've seen real shifts shifts in 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 the parties, shifts in organizations um, like the police as to what it is that they are are favoring, and we see more and more support of individual gun rights coming from the police, which is a real reversal of what we used to see earlier.
0: It seems like if we kind of deconstruct a lot of the thinking, the thought process with guns, we would eventually get to a point where we talk about fear and how that fear manifests itself is different with different groups. Um, But, you know, how did we as a society get so fearful? Because I think that's a, it's, you know, fear of the other, fear of the government, fear. Well, you mentioned, you know, with young men, fear of women like a lot of this. it. it correct me if you think I'm wrong, but I think it manifests itself in different types of, of people are are scared of something.
1: I, I don't disagree with you, Matt. I'm I, I'm not a psychologist or a sociologist, and I, I I'm fearful of getting out of my lane because there are good scholars who who really study the politics of fear, and I, I'm not one of them. But I, you know, I I will say that we live in a very polarized country, and we are seeing that polarization in. Public opinion. We're starting to see. Uh, we, we always saw a little bit of difference between gun owners, Democrats and Republicans. Would if they owned a gun, would be less in favor of gun regulation than others. But we're seeing more and more split between Democrats and Republicans, and that's not just about guns. That has to do with our our wider popular culture. And in terms of fear, I think we can see the ways in which fear has been used in terms of racial dog whistles uh dog whistles towards immigrants uh the idea of of you know you you need to protect yourself you're unprotected you're under siege uh we we can see that and mapping on to the complex soup of uh debates over white supremacy and where we, how we frame race in the United States. I mean, I and there's people who've written some really great stuff on this. I think that fear isn't one simple uh, approach. I think some people fear armed individuals who are walking around, and some people want to be those individuals who are armed. So for example, if you're Uh, a person of color in the United States, like Trayvon Martin, you may fear an armed man like Zimmerman, who does not wait for the police and takes it upon himself to police himself uh, by himself and to execute somebody for, uh, in other words, instead of there being a trial by jury or an arrest. So I think who fears what? is really a, a big piece of thinking about guns in America and you can see there's there's real divides in terms of cities people in cities don't want people with guns and they certainly don't want concealed carry as much people in rural areas are far more comfortable with it.
0: Time for a break we will continue our conversation with Dr. Susan Lee Bell right after this. This is KYW News Radio in depth and we are back on KYW News Radio in depth continuing our conversation with Dr. Susan LeBelle. We have had mass shootings in just about every setting and nothing changes. And I mean literally we had members of Congress be the victims, of the congressional uh, baseball practice. Is there anything you think that would ever spur change because usually you would think that if it affects people personally, Things are looked through through a different lens and nothing seems to move the needle, even when it directly affects people.
1: It's really hard to puzzle this out, Matt. Um, American political institutions are failing to represent the will of the American public with regards to gun safety. I mean, most Americans support some access to guns but they favor measure, measures such as stronger background checks by wide, wide majorities. 70% of Republicans, 92% of Democrats think that there should be background checks or um, for, you know, private gun sales or sales at gun shows. So so this is not like a little sliver. This, These are huge. Yet, despite those wide majorities, legislators and judges have adopted a radical position on guns that doesn't reflect the public opinion of their constituents. It doesn't reflect the text of the Constitution or the history of gun regulation in the United States, in my opinion. And this is part of a wider problem. Minorities, not majorities, are often represented when it comes to gun rights and gun safety in the United States Um, So that a small group of people who have this as one issue or are well represented by interest groups like the NRA are able to block legislation that 70 or 92 percent of Americans, depending on party, agree with. So. um, The cycle that you. Uh, described so well, which is there is a shooting like uh, Sandy Hook and people are devastated and and there is this kind of thoughts and prayers and there is a gesture. Somebody goes to the Senate and says that there's going to be legislation. It passes and it's almost always blocked uh, or has been blocked, um, especially in the last few, few years. Um, how could we get beyond that? I don't know. If you think about what Biden said last night, he was trying to combine thoughts and prayers. It was a very religious speech with a call to turn this pain into action, but he didn't name specific bills. You know, he did say that the people who block the legislation won't be forgotten. That was kind of a threat. But people who have blocked this legislation have not suffered in the past. From you know, from their constituents. So I I I don't know that there's a path forward. Clearly, um, Schumer and the Democrats will put these two bills on the floor, and they're pretty tame, uh, and they will probably be voted down. Uh, one would expand criminal background checks to would-be gun buyers on the internet and at gun shows, and also lengthen the waiting period for gun buyers who are flagged by the instant background check system to, to allow the FBI a little bit more time to investigate. But those were passed in 2019 by the House and they were passed last year again, but they've always languished in the Senate amid you know, Republican opposition. So you know, even as these massacres come, we are not seeing Republicans, uh, senators saying, Oh, my position here has changed. In fact, I think what we see is more retrenchment. You know, Ted Ted Cruz, very representative of what some of the other Republicans are saying is that Democrats and uh, folks in the media are going to use this shooting in Texas as an excuse to take away your constitutional rights. And he says that, you know, these kinds of laws don't work. Um, and that, you know, we need to do something else. But what Democrats are doing is advancing their own political agenda. And we also know that um, McConnell, that in the past, he hasn't bought those those bills to the floor. And Schumer may, but in a 50-50 Senate, they need 10 extra votes. And I'm not sure that they can, I'm not sure that they can find them among Republicans
0: you kind of talking there about the legislation and the you know judges and how much of a problem in making significant change on this front is almost by design because there are so many checks and balances and You know, in Congress, you've got the filibuster, and if you overcome the filibuster, you know you got to make sure it's a president, it's of your party, and if if it it is a president of your party, becomes law, it's going to be challenged in courts, and then you got to hope that every level of the court, you 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 have a judge that agrees with you, and all it takes is one judge to knock it down, and you know now we've got a Supreme Court that is you know incredibly Second Amendment, uh, pro Second Amendment, Uh, so there are just so many places where the circulation can stop. And it makes it next to impossible to really do anything on this front now.
1: Well, um, I'll disagree a little with you there. I think that federalism means that states have wide latitude to control the gun laws in their states. And to date, since Heller in 2008, We've had thousands upon thousands of regulations that have been upheld by the federal courts. So most of the time, states can make decisions about the kind of laws they want in their states. Now states have limits because states don't have walls around them. So if New York state has a particular law but Pennsylvania or Virginia doesn't, you know, you can drive your car to go buy a gun in Virginia and bring it up to a state that has more regulations like New York or New Jersey. So I would say that federalism provides some robust power to states to govern on on this measure. But there is no doubt that at the national level and even at the state political level, it has become a kind of a um, religious doctrine, for lack of a better uh, term, for Republicans to Oppose certain kinds of gun safety measures. And as long as that is in place, I don't think you're going to see anything pass unless the Democrats were able in the midterms to increase their majorities to determine to overturn the filibuster, which there doesn't seem to be support for within the Democratic Party because of Joe Manchin of West Virginia's opposition. So I, I think that, and the president has very limited power. I mean, I should note that Joe Biden. Of all the people that we've talked about, is somebody who has been around this issue for a very long time. He, you know, in 1994, he talked about you know, his role in the assault ban. But you know, he was also you know working as vice president under Obama um, on on other legislation. He, this is this is an issue that he knows a lot about and he and he came into power with with a plan to tackle gun violence um he wanted to crack down on ghost guns he wanted to promote the safe storage of firearms he he, he has this gun crime reduction agenda that he's put out there but you know we don't even, uh, we, but we, but he can only do so much through executive order and he needs legislation to be passed and we're not in a legislative environment in which we could possibly see any sort of legislation passed. It's possible that if something very, very watered down was put in front of the Senate, something that, I don't know, extended the waiting periods or um, something that so many people supported that maybe you could get somebody to vote, there is no evidence for that hope. That's a hope on my part. That is that is not reflective of anything that political history tells us.
0: That's it for this episode of KYW News Radio In Depth. You can listen to the podcast free anytime on the Odyssey app, and you can find it wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm Matt Leon, and we'll have another episode out soon.